0: Hey everyone, it's Melissa. Welcome back to another episode of the Social Angle podcast. I'm glad you're here as always. We've got a really exciting episode for you. So today we're talking about cause marketing and we are talking with Roger Burnett, who is the founder of Social Good Promotions, a social enterprise built to teach and deliver purpose-based marketing strategies to businesses of all sizes, while also donating marketing services to nonprofit organizations in the communities they serve. Roger offers a unique perspective on the many values of organizational alignment and the ways purpose capably serves as the fifth P of marketing. So Roger is a really cool guy. It was a great conversation talking to him about um, how he feels that companies are using cause marketing not only to sustain their business, but also thinking long-term to sustain their communities and support causes that they're passionate about and how consumers are willing to buy into that because they wanna make a difference with their purchasing power. And he gives some tangible strategies that promo professionals can use In their own promo firms when trying to implement a smart and authentic cause marketing strategy so let's get into today's episode hey everyone it's melissa i am so excited to be joined by roger burnett today he is the ceo and founder (laughs) yeah right of social good promotions so roger welcome to the show
1: yeah thanks melissa this is gonna be a lot of fun i'm looking forward to hearing what you're gonna throw at me
0: Yes. I'm so excited for this conversation. I've been seeing you all over social media and I'm like, you know what? I really got to talk to this guy. He seems like he would be fun to talk to about cause marketing, which is the theme of today's episode. So before we kind of get into that, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? I'd love to know how you got into promo.
1: Yeah. I'm sure you hear this every single time. I didn't think this was going to happen. I had no idea this was an industry. (laughs) Yeah. everything that you've heard from every single person, who ever gets on this podcast and talks about their background. I started selling prior to the internet even being a thing. So there was a
0: time before now I'm just messing.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I, I joke oftentimes that my sales career can drink. It has, <laughs> it's legal and it oftentimes wants to have a beer even before I do. Mm-hmm. And I started an office equipment sales and by virtue of a relationship, which most sales jobs are hinging on somebody knowing someone, I ended up at, at the time, what was the 13th largest promotional products distributor in the country, Wow. which was housed inside of a half a billion dollar printing company, but we were about a hundred million dollars worth of promotional products at the height of our sales. And as is often the case in the economy, that business no longer exists. I'm sorry. actually a part of Taylor Communications. So Mm -hmm. there was not very much time between my getting the job for uh, the promotional products director and my first ASI Chicago show dating all the way back to 2004. And I can remember um, sending a message to my then boss to tell him that I had found my home, that I 100% was right where I thought I should be with you know the with there's just so much to sell in promotional products that the options are limitless yep. as opposed to you know the 10 copy machines that I had historically been able to sell so you're know, a lot more fun a lot more flexibility a lot more freedom for me as a salesperson to sort of craft my own solution based on what my understanding of what the client's needs were and my relationships that I had built with my factories
0: I love that and honestly it's so very much true i feel like you know, a lot of people that I have spoken to, it's kind of like they find their way into this, you know, through something else. When they do, it's like they're there for life because they just like, it's like they found their home. And I feel like it's such a cool community. People are really supportive. And I think that it really supports somebody like yourself, who is a creative entrepreneur, like somebody who has ideas, who wants to build relationships. And I feel like out of all the promo firms that, you know, either I've met professionals through them, or I've just kind of watched from the sidelines through digital communities, I feel like the ones that are really successful are, you know, taking that relationship building approach. And that's really what it's about, not just the sale in the moment, but, you know, cultivating that relationship long term with your clients. And that's really how you sustain yourself. So I wanted to ask you too as well, you know, for you launching social good promotions, what's the framework that you use to kind of build your company? And can you tell us a little bit more about it?
1: Yeah, you touched on that. So elegantly, people make buying decisions using emotions to drive their decision-making and logic to justify it, right? So we sell a medium that can be bought from a multitude of places, Mm -hmm. some of which require our intervention, most do not. So in order to be able to then justify why you would be the choice as opposed to the frictionless transaction, you have to show some kind of value whatsoever. Right. And for me, the beautiful part about our medium is in many ways, it's not the product itself. It's the story behind the product that in many instances has more value than the product itself. Okay. So by being able to connect the buyer of what it is we sell with the stories behind the products themselves. What you're actually doing is giving that buyer the opportunity to have a greater emotional connection to the product itself because that person starts imagining how the story behind the product weaves into the narrative of their own brand and whatever decision-making that they're trying to make with respect to their own brand in their own crowded noisy, and difficult marketplaces, we all are faced with that challenge no matter whether you're selling promotional products or something else, right? Right. got to be able to point to that thing, to that consumer to say, here's the reason why I would be the right choice for you. So the power of story is so immensely important, especially more so now than ever with what's gone on socioeconomically. Yeah. So I wanted to make sure that I was well-trained and how to best tell that story in the most succinct manner possible.
0: Okay. Because
1: if I'm confusing, then people will not bother to spend the time to try to figure it out. They'll move on to something that's less confusing. And so right about the same time that I was thinking about putting the business together, I had read Story Brand by Donald Miller. Love him. Yeah. (laughs) And so it was just... I feel like in many instances, business books have a way of finding you in the moment that you most need them. And it was finding Don's book at that particular moment and then ultimately traveling uh, to visit with him and spend time in his certification program to learn how to be able to both build my own brand, to be able to tell the stories behind those factories that we're doing business with, but more importantly, to use it as a framework for my prospects and my customers, who I was hoping was going to ask me something similar for them, that they would want to hire me to do that. So if I'm, um, you know, if I'm skilled in the framework of StoryBrand, then that gives me a basis by which to then display some credibility. And then if customers like what they see out of my brand, you know, I can point to that and say, that was the playbook that we used. So let me show you something similar
0: i love that and i think you're so right i think that's why his message and why that book just gets passed from marketer to marketer like i know when i made my career change that was one of the first business books um, one of my professors mentioned because it is just so good it's a small book but it's so powerful and like you said when there's so many different conflicting messages out there there's so much competition there's so much information you're being fed constantly through all the channels that you're a part of. It's like, how can you just be concise with a customer to let them know your value proposition? You know, why you're the right choice? How can you educate them? You know, so there's buy-in from them to work with you in a way that's just kind of like not salesy, but again, it's building that relationship. So I think that's so interesting that social good promotions has been infused with that. So I wanted to talk to you Specifically about cause marketing. And I think this year, you know, in 2020, there has been a lot of um, stronger demands from consumers of brands and companies to be more responsible. And I think that's awesome. You know, they're really trying to buy products and services where they feel like it's benefiting other people. So, that being said, uh, what do you think has increased the popularity of cause marketing in uh, the marketing sphere or renewed the interest, I should say?
1: well my goodness melissa there is a entire episode alone i think in that one question so i'll try to highlight a few things that (laughs) that are fueling the mix and we'll we'll do those in more bite-sized ways just to sort of talk about what we think is the ingredients in the stew that is becoming increasingly more interesting to people who are are, uh, looking to spend dollars in the marketplace so First and, form, first and foremost, obviously, everyone is very nervous about spending money, right? There's, you know, we don't, we don't need to belabor that point. Our industry sales number for 2020 will reflect that. We don't mm. need to spend a whole lot of time wringing our hands about the fact that that's the case. So if you're someone with money that could make a decision, really what you're trying to do is to make your business, whatever it is that you would like that person to to buy from you, you wanna be seen right now as an investment and not an expense. Okay. Because from an expense line perspective, no one's really excited about making an expenditure. However, Mm. in these moments when people are in crisis, we often look to those that we would want to support and are willing to make an investment in them In order to ensure their continued success, because if you're a partner of mine and it looks like you're struggling and I have the wherewithal to be able to help you alleviate some of that pain that you're in, really doing that because I want you to be around for the long term, not because I'm interested in giving you some of my money. I want to see you succeed. I want to see you still be around when this is all whatever it's going to become so that we can continue the relationship that we've built with each other over time. Right, And so by that being sort of A, B, the buyers and the buying chairs that are responsible for the purchases of the products in which we sell are increasingly coming from the demographic that is most interested in what happens with the dollars they spend because mm-hmm. they've been trained to do that themselves as consumers. Yes. So they would love the gratification of knowing that the purchase decisions that they're making in their professional lives are in alignment with their values personally, or even better, that their buying decisions as a member of the organization for which they're buying are actually being reflected a reflection of the values that they have organizationally as well. It makes them feel better about the decision that they've made to make that investment, not that expense. And by giving them that opportunity, you're 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 giving them the checkbox that they're used to getting. Additionally, that generation is so accustomed to curating their own brands personally on Instagram that when they're making buying decisions, they can't help themselves, but want to do that additional investigation to say, is that brand something I would be proud of personally? And would Mm -hmm. I accept that brand into my own personal ideology as something that I would be seen holding or wearing on Instagram? Because if the answer is no, unequivocally, those people, no matter how hard you market at them, they are not going to give you their money, they just won't. So if we have a better understanding of where those pockets of opportunity lie, we're really giving ourselves a better chance to sort of recognize the places where people will see us as an investment and not an expense.
0: I love that answer so much. Like I think, like that's literally the the nugget. Like that, I really want to take from this episode. But to kind of dive into that, you know, um, what demographic are you talking about? Because I think I have a good idea, but I'd love to know how you're defining that demographic.
1: This is, ordinarily, everyone's going to expect me to use some ages. And the one thing that I will tell you is the cause marketing. The underpinning principle of cause marketing is the idea of purpose. And the one okay. thing that we know about purpose is that per- purpose is multi-generational.
0: Yes. Regardless
1: of how old you are, everyone wants to feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves. And by giving yourself the opportunity to show that buyer that you can meet them in a place that's purpose-centered, you're really improving the reach of your sales efforts demographically because it really does transcend age. Now, having said that, I'm going to give you an example that is not really age driven, but the way it gets answered is 100% age driven. So Melissa, I have the vested ability for the sake of this exercise to grant you Bill Gates money. Congratulations. (laughs) You now don't have to worry about money for yourself, for your family. Hell, I'd like you to give me some of the money I just gave you. But there's one condition that I need you to think about, and you need to be able to answer this question for me in order for this transaction to happen, Melissa. Melissa. You no longer have to work forty hours a week. You have to give an equivalent amount of time, energy, and effort to a nonprofit or a cause that you care about. What would you do?
0: Oh, I would do it one hundred percent. I would pick, a, you know, a nonprofit with a cause that I was passionate about. You know. Okay.
1: So, the Mendoza line for this answer is about thirty. Really? Okay. Thirty and under. When I said you get Bill Gates money and there's one condition, their cheeks are flushed. They're super excited. They're like, give it to me. What, what, what? And when I say you have to devote your attention to a cause, the answer is almost they know exactly what it is that they would do. Mm. And it has largely to do with the fact that they've been taught this way. They've been marketed to this way. They've been able to see other people actually go on to have successful influencer careers doing things this way. Yeah. And so by giving them the opportunity to see that this is like, oh, like I can totally connect this way too. This is like the holy grail for me. Right. And, and but consequently, that's it's like we said in the beginning, it's not just that one person. The difference is someone my age struggles to answer the question. Okay. Not that they disagree with the concept. It's mm-hmm. we were taught, I'm 50 this year, we were taught. What you do philanthropically is your own business and you don't spend any time talking about that. And what we've realized now is that that's not really the way things are anymore. Okay. You you don't have to do that as a business owner to communicate what it is that you care about. But what we realize now is if you're losing business to a competitor, one of the reasons why you may be losing business to them is that they're doing it and you're not.
0: Interesting.
1: So you need to be thinking about that and looking at your competition in the marketplace to see, am I being disrupted by somebody who's using a purpose-driven approach? And if they are, then I recognize that maybe that's what's happening is that I don't have a well-articulated strategy there and somebody else is eating my lunch because they do.
0: I think that's awesome and such a great point because I feel like you said, you know, um, the perception is it is always like a younger generation, but everybody really wants to make sure, you know, how their spending makes an impact, you know, even if they can't necessarily answer that question off the top of their head, like, I think um, it's interesting to see, and I would love to see more numbers about that, about how companies, you know, like case studies, you know, especially from this year, because there's been such an interest between like what companies have missed out maybe on capitalizing on a certain market share compared to their competitors, because they had a strategy in place. And it's always been in like their DNA, kind of like Ben and Jerry's, like Ben and Jerry's, no matter what, you know, how they stand on any issue. And it's never something when they come out with a campaign that's surprising to consumer, where I think a lot of brands this year kind of got called out for, you know, uh, was it called slacktivism or, you know, kind of fake allyship because they were saying they were for causes that they they kind of didn't represent previously. So I like that there's kind of a um, a change with how marketers are thinking about not just a short-term strategy of we're doing this campaign and we're saying we're going to be about a cause, but how can we have long-term results and like weave them into our business as a whole for better good for everybody? So is there any promo companies that you, you know, maybe a couple of campaigns, Campaigns you've seen over the years for people who've done cause marketing campaigns that you really think knocked it out of the park?
1: Yeah, so that was the beauty of the research that went into Red Goldfish Promo Edition was we investigated over 300 examples of organizations in the promotional marketing industry who had done something that we felt qualified within this category of corporate social responsibility, ESG, whatever, however you usually what nomenclature you use to represent businesses that are trying to somehow make the world a better place through their efforts and what they're doing on a day in a day out basis. So the book is nothing more really than just us regurgitating the case studies that we were able to identify both through the research from the book, as well as the three years that I've served as co-founder from PromoCares. So we've really spent, you know, while the book was maybe a year and a half in the making, Promo Care started in January of 2018. And we've really been spending that entirety of what is coming up on three years now, documenting these stories on the supplier side, the distributor side, and the service provider side, because we didn't have to really look that hard, Melissa. Once we started searching, we were able to find really countless examples of businesses that had made that decision to do it. And the beautiful part about it is, and I'll I'll give you a couple of them because obviously the people want to hear them. But what I want you to recognize is that regardless of whether I say a large company or small, in each of the categories that we identified as kind of being the buckets where those activities are sort of falling, Mm -hmm. there are big and small companies. There are um, family-owned businesses and uh, privately held businesses. There are public businesses. There's all different kinds of constructions. So you don't have to feel like you're constrained, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely do not have to feel like you're constrained. And I'll use a distributor example, a small distributor. Her name is Melinda Bowden. She's from Bluffton, Ohio. Her name is, her company name is Promo Hits, Mm -hmm. LTV. And she in 2019 began a program inspired by Promo Cares where she picks new nonprofits in the communities where her business has served And she uh, quarterly will give back a portion of the proceeds of the sale of her products to those designated nonprofits to the point where, if I remember correctly, she's coming up close on like $100,000 given.
0: That's awesome.
1: Yeah. That's so cool. And, you know, think about it from a competitive differentiation standpoint. So you're competing in a marketplace and certainly there are other competitors that those businesses could be buying their promotional products from. But when it gets right down to it, when Melinda is able to present and oh, by the way, this is a program that my business does that really does set us apart from everybody else in the area. Again, I'm not going to say that that's getting her more business than she would have gotten otherwise, but I know in my heart that there are buyers who are saying, you know what, if everything else is equal. And I know that my purchases are gonna go to especially local nonprofit organizations that mostly are probably name recognizable to the buyers. Right. The credibility from Melinda and promo hits, I think, skyrockets as a result. And it's it's just so gratifying to see when it works and to see her presenting those proceeds to those nonprofits at the end of each cycle, you know. It's gratifying to the nonprofit. It's gratifying to the buyers who ultimately participated in that. Mm
0: -hmm. And then
1: certainly Melinda's got to be gratified or else she wouldn't keep doing the program. Right. So on the supplier side, it really spans the gamut. There are so many that we could talk about, you know, from the biggest of the big, Sanmar really leads the way in a lot of this because of their corporate social responsibility and their reporting that they do. We're anticipating the latest version of their CSR report should come out sometime in early 2020. And we're really excited to see what it is that they're going to tell us with respect to the last time that they gave us an update, which was in 2018. Okay. So we've watched them very closely because suppliers in the industry can model their behavior depending on what resources they have. But then on the other end of this, Melissa, there are so many amazing small supplier organizations that literally their whole construct, their whole reason for being is to give employment to underserved communities, to offer products that somehow are sustainable and help close the loop on what can be seen as a wasteful supply chain in the promotional marketing industry, right? Right. So, So if we're able to show those instances where, depending on what it is that the buyer cares about, And when I'm going into a discovery meeting with a new prospect, before we ever get into the traditional questions that I might ask someone with respect to budget and the amount of pieces that they need and where they need them and by when, I'm backing up the train and trying to find out what the organization is passionate about. Okay. Because if I can, in my product selections, present solutions that then somehow have a tie to what the organization is passionate about the likelihood of them wanting to do that purchase with me increases, but more importantly, and what we're really hoping, is that when the end buyer recognizes that they too now, if we teach them correctly, can weave the story about why they made that purchase decision into when they give whatever it is they're giving away to a prospect or to a um, potential employee, or thanking someone for a job that they've done or all of the other things that people give away promotional marketing items, if I receive that and I that message that you gave me about what the product activated from a social perspective, yeah. if that's a cause I care about, the likelihood of me wanting to hold on to that item probably is a lot greater than if that's not the case, right? Right. So we've taken and taken what already is a valuable advertising medium in promotional marketing. It's the yeah. only one people say thank you for. But now what we're saying is we're going to add that added element of, oh, it's not only this high quality tumbler, it's this high quality tumbler that actually because of it being for homes for our troops from Patriot uh, line from Hirsch Gift, we know that soldiers who got wounded in combat are going to have their homes remodeled to become ADA compliant because those tumblers got purchased. And that just, it changes the nature of the transaction in a really dynamic way.
0: Yeah, no. And I love that example. I think that's a beautiful way to kind of like talk about that ecosystem in a really cool snapshot. So before we get into our fun question, I wanted to ask you, is there anything else you wanted to add about cause marketing? I feel like there's so many gems that our audience will take from this discussion with you.
1: Well, one, if you are really interested in uh, maybe doing this for yourself, uh, mm-hmm. purchasing the book might be a great way to get yourself started because the way we use... Um, the 177 pages that we created for this book is the front end of it is, let me show you all of your brothers and sisters in this marketplace who are doing amazing work to maybe get you excited about the possibility of you doing something similar. Okay. The back half of the book is nothing more than if you wanted to get started, what should you do? Awesome. So it gives you ample opportunity to really come away from reading that book with something that would get you started. But there's a really key section of the book that I think is really really important for us to talk to talk about at this moment and the chapter is entitled commitment not campaign and what I'm trying to say there is if you're going to make this decision the brand that you referenced Ben & Jerry's is a great example of that whether or not we want to debate whether Ben & Jerry's started out as that kind of company or not is irrelevant because you don't have to start that way What you have to do is realize that this is who you are organizationally and that this is the way you would like to go forward in how you present yourself in comparison to the other choices that people might make. And by staying true to that, what you're really doing is giving yourself a center so that when things like racial injustice, uh, pandemics and all the other crazy things that 2020 have brought us, you don't have to worry about what that's doing for you. You already understand what your organization is all about and you're just taking these outside inputs and saying, all right, how do these inputs then affect the way we're trying to do what it is that we're trying to do? And it actually, we didn't struggle very much during COVID because we kind of understood where our lane was and the way that we could be beneficial to the marketplace in a way that would be on brand for social good promotions, right? Right. So. Make the commitment. That's the most important part here. If it even gives you a little bit of upset stomach, this is not the right thing for you to do. So there's three elements though, that if you're gonna decide that you wanna move in this direction, I would say you have to make the campaign, the commitment, you have to make mm-hmm. the commitment be well-defined. Okay. People have to know exactly what it is you want them to do and exactly what will happen as a result of them doing that. You have to make that infinitely clear because the more you confuse people back to don miller the more likelihood they will have of not getting exactly what it is that you're talking about and wanting to move on okay it has to be in alignment with your core values if you don't have any passion for autism as a cause don't pick autism as your cause right you won't stay committed to doing it for the long haul which is what you're going to need to be able to do in order to accomplish the third objective, which is you have to show your work. You have to show your work. You have to put in the time to document what you're doing so that it can A, be discoverable by people who care about the same thing you care about. Two, that people can see that you're staying true to your commitment, that you said you were going to do a certain thing because you've created the documentation for people to find out that it's true. And three, people will fall in love with your brand if they get a chance to see the work that you've done before they ever really have to spend a lot of time being immersed with you personally. Or you get the initial contact, you try to make them feel good about who you are organizationally, and then you know they're gonna go back to their office and do the Google thing, right? Yeah. So if you can be consistent with what they're going to see about you out in social media and the way you sound in person, You give yourself the best opportunity to be the choice that that person would want to select because the alignment of your messaging and your brand are in uh, alignment. And then the attunement, you actually are a reflection of what it is you say you are when you show up in person. Those two things working in combination are incredibly powerful.
0: I could literally listen to you talk forever about this stuff because I love cause marketing. So thank you so much for giving so many just practical tips that I feel like honestly, this is where marketing is moving. And I like that, you know, uh, you came on to this episode to remind people in promo. Cause I feel like a lot of people are looking for answers to incorporate that into their promo firms. So I feel like they'll get a lot of them from this episode today. So thank you so much for your time, Roger. But as Everybody knows me and Vin always like to end with a really fun question. So who do you think you would want to see in a socially distanced concert? You oh. had the opportunity.
1: Oh, my goodness. So I am a live music junkie.
0: Really? And, okay.
1: Oh, my gosh. I Of all of the disposable income I've had in my life, if you looked at categories of spend. It would <laughs> be like how you even close. Absolutely not even close. So um, this is going to be a a little bit of an insider baseball for my friend's answer. So um, I don't know if you know this, but there are a lot of supplier reps back in the day that are such live music junkies that they would actually plan their travel around where their favorite bands were going to (laughs) be.
0: That's awesome.
1: (laughs) And I, in my job, oftentimes would find those people at those places. So I have these great memories of say me and Tennessee, Tim Hill, who used to work for Evans, going to these small little uh, out of the way venues and seeing bands like our favorite band, American Aquarium. Uh, I, I learned of that band through another industry friend. I've seen them a bunch of times live and in person. We've gotten to go in the green room and hang out with the band. We've helped them pack their van at the end of the night. We've gotten <laughs> to be really like roadies and members of the crew. I and remember. we've gone now almost 16 months without having to opportunity to see them in person so it's it's kind of a multi-part answer because i would probably be seeing some of my promo friends i would probably be seeing a band that not only do i love their music but we sort of have a personal relationship with them and mm-hmm. it would kind of be like everything coming back to pre-covid days that would be so cool
0: Oh, that's awesome. Such a good answer. Well, thank you so much for your time, Roger. You are awesome. Keep up the amazing work. I will put information about your newly released book. And again, congratulations on that um, for our audience they can find out more. So thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, it was fun.